morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed season to all of you this Wednesday, April the 27th, as the light of Christ shines on us from Psalm 126, 126. It's a psalm that is, you know, there's a few around that we've been studying that really brings us back to this understanding of the Lord is at work. These are song of ascents. And today, there's just some really powerful, joyful language, restoration, dreams, laughter, and joy. All of this, the question is, is this now? Is this in the future? Is it both? What is it? So today, we will look at it with fresh eyes. And as we've been doing, we take a step back between books to pray. And how important is it for us to be able to pray and to know that we can pray a psalm? So that's what we'll do this morning. Open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles, and let's start praying. For the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org to hear more of their great work around the world, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome Pastor Dan Torkelson of St. John's Lutheran Church in North Prairie, Wisconsin. Pastor Torkelson, Happy Easter and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Risen indeed, brother. It's great to have you. Tell us what's going on for you. I mean, it's our first time together, uh, Pastor Torkelson. Um, yeah, well, you, your family, not and, first and not, not, not first time talking. Together. Yeah, <laughs> so, so we, we know so, each other, but I've never been yeah. on the radio with you. It's been a while since I've been on the radio, but uh, good to be back and uh, good to talk to you. Um, things are going well here. We've uh, got a confirmation coming up next Sunday. Uh, Very good. Uh, trying to think here. What else is on? Well, and I got a vacation coming up, <laughs> which sort of begins right after confirmation, and uh, not going terribly far. But do do plan to watch the Milwaukee Brewers. Nice, I'm very talking nice. To St. Louis, I'm talking to St. Louis types, and you're probably a Twins fan. But anyway, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is a, a little R and R. It's a burden. Post. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Need that so, sometimes too. Tell us about your, your, your family a little bit and the work of the Saints of St. John's. Well, I've been married to my wife, Jennifer, for 27, going on 28 years. Am I right? Yeah, 28 years. Uh, <laughs> in, in, in August, I think, for just a second. And I have uh, eight children, uh, five biological and three adopted. And that's one, one I have to think about, too. Every now and then I have to say, which one are you again? And uh, <laughs> But... Uh, it's uh, it's interesting. We've got a range of 24 down to 10. So uh, my 24-year-old is through college, and he's kind of back with us looking for jobs, and uh, uh, two in college, and the others are all high school down to the 10-year-old. And uh, we, uh, um, we're, we're just simply blessed. Uh, in fact, uh, we <laughs> thanks to a refinance on the house last year, we're very blessed. So <laughs> I don't have Thanks be to God. too much to complain <laughs> about. Um, with regard to St. John's, we have a preschool and a daycare here. We've been uh, actively supporting um, local and uh, uh, district, South Wisconsin district missions as well. We also uh, support four missionaries across uh, the synod. Um, and we're actually doing a, um, a, it's a, what do you call it? rummage sales here in Wisconsin, early May, that's rummage sale season. So we're, we're mm. getting ready for a rummage sale in a week and a half 
which uh, is going to go to support the Lutheran Church in Ukraine. So we're mm-hmm. happy about that as well. And uh, we've been discussing some other outreaches as well, education-related. And so it's a, it's an interesting time. I, I have to say, I, uh, it's, not, it's not like the ministry is ever not interesting, but uh, these are very rewarding conversations, uh, and hopefully they lead to some really good things for us. It's really wonderful to get a church talking about what we can be doing. Um, not that, not that we, I don't want to say that it doesn't, yeah, that, well, I guess that stuff ebbs and flows uh, in, in all honesty, but right now it's just a really wonderful conversations going on. So, yeah. Well, you know, and it's uh, thanks be to God as, as the word bears fruit and, and to hear of your family and, uh, and we'll, you know, reminder to your listeners, pray for Pastor Torkelson, who, so he remembers his kids' names. That sounds like it's an issue, so uh, we'll make sure that he does. <laughs> Anyways, so just a full disclosure here, too. You know, Pastor Torkelson and I serve the same parish, obviously different times. And uh, and a little shout-out, Pastor Torkelson and I talked yesterday about the Wednesday morning Bible class, which he cut mm-hmm. short a little bit today. So shout-out to the Wednesday morning Bible class. Many of those saints are still the same as when I was there. So uh, shout out mm-hmm. to them and all the saints there and, and thanking God for the way he continues to work. So, um, hey, say hi to all the people at St. John's when you when uh, the people I would know, at least. It's a joy I will. Um, to have I you will. with I us. I think again. I already have, but I, I will continue <laughs> to do so again. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> well, let's begin our time in prayer, Pastor. And what we'll do is I will Read one twenty or uh, Psalm one twenty six and with the Gloria Patri, and this will be our time of prayer. Reminder to our listeners: it is a great way to pray when you don't know the words. Yes, the Holy Spirit gives you words, but He also gives us the words in Scripture to use. And I think today's is a, a one of those. Once again, I'm looking at all these Psalms. I I haven't studied this one ton. I haven't prayed this one a ton. So I'm excited to be able to do that um, on this day, this Easter season. So let us begin in prayer. Psalm one twenty six. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Now, Pastor, we begin okay. Psalm 126. And so, what, how do you want to start us off with this, you know, song of ascents? Well, I tell you what, it... it it's interesting. I had to say, too, before you assigned it to me, I had not spent a lot of time with this particular psalm either. I was aware of it, um, but not really deep in study of it. And that's that's astounding, because I I think if there's two books of the Bible I've spent the most time in, well, I guess I'm going to have to go with three. Uh, over the last several years, it's been John, Hebrews, and the Psalms. And I did work through the Psalms pretty extensively during this last couple of years, especially the first year after the lockdowns and and all of that. The Psalms were really bringing me a ton of comfort. And this whole section of Psalms, all the Songs of Ascent, uh, are are just glorious Psalms. It's hard to find any law in them. There's a ton of gospel here. But um, 
I would say that that if we see any law in this psalm, it's probably implied in verse 1 and implied again a little bit in verse 4. And with a word that just doesn't appear very much in the Bible. Um, in fact, uh, I, uh, there's, a, there's a technical term for a word like this. It, it might qualify. It's the word for fortune. Uh, in verse 1, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Mm. Um, the implied law there is that the fortunes weren't always there. The Lord had to restore them. And interestingly here, too, Psalm 126 puts all of this in the past tense, which I, I noticed this. Um, yeah. Good Friday. On Good Friday, we have this um, text from Isaiah 52 and 53, the last uh, suffering servant song, which slides into past tense as if this suffering servant, who is ultimately Jesus and isn't coming for another 700 years, uh, has already done it. <laughs> this is, it's like it's already happened. And we, you know, there's a technical term for that, too, in the Bible studies. But the idea behind it is called the prophetic perfect. The idea behind it is that it is so done that for Isaiah, 700 years before it would happen, it's a certainty. It's as if it's already already happened and we're already looking back on it. Mm. Um and I think that that's at work here a little bit in verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. At least for maybe, maybe not. depends on where you want to situate this psalm and when it was written. Um, so I, I'm going to toss that back to you. We'll have a little, we'll yeah. have a little fun. We'll play, we'll play tennis here. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know the... Uh, you like tennis, don't you, Pastor Fenner? As I recall. No, not really. Not really. No, oh, no, no I like okay. track. Actually, I, I like track when I, you throw oh, the discus right, out there and it doesn't come back. It doesn't come back. Yeah, you just you throw it out yeah. there and you just let it, let it go. Anyways, yeah, no no tennis for me. No. So what's the question you're throwing my back children, at me? Yeah, I remind my children that my wife played college tennis. <laughs> she, she did at Concordia University. and Because uh, they're always shocked. They, they, they think that both of us aren't very, you know, fit anymore. And, <laughs> but anyway, um, we'll, we'll play a little tennis here. What do you think Let's the historical reference might be when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion? This is the book of Psalms. Oh. You know, the, the, the Lutheran Study Bible has a really a, a fascinating take on it, but what would you guess? Well, I tell you what, I was looking at uh, uh, reading the Psalms with Luther, and Luther references yeah. it. He says, this is a psalm of thanks for the deliverance from the captivity of the Babylon. Um, yeah, and that's where the and, study Bible goes too. Yeah, yeah, and and that's basically the everything that I read. I read another um, from the Wisconsin Synod, uh, uh, Zorn, uh, another devotional on the Psalms, and he speaks that way too. And yeah. but I, yeah, now I'm kind of intrigued. So we're looking at two different realities. This was either after the Babylonian captivity, which makes sense because their fortunes were restored, if you will, but not. Right. I mean, not quite the way that we would think of fortune, or. The other option, like kind of what you said, is that they believe that they knew that fortunes would be restored someday so wholeheartedly as almost if it was today. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it depends on, again, that whether you read it that way or not depends on where this probably fell. And I, I have no reason to doubt that it's probably referencing an actual thing that happened in the past in this particular case. Right. Um, I, and I and I would say the exile qualifies. I think what's surprising 
about that is just simply that it's easy to think of the Psalms as more time bound because David wrote so many of them. Mm. It, so, so you catch a Psalm like this that may be referring to the Babylonian exile, which means, which is to say it is a much later Psalm than a lot of the Psalms right. in the, in the book. Um, my favorite Psalm in, in the book of Psalms is Psalm 90. I, I spent a lot of time with that the last couple of years. That's by Moses. And so that's very early. And then you think of all, uh, some, uh, some half of the Psalms are written by David. And so you, you get this idea that the book of Psalms is fixed in time when maybe it really isn't. This might be one of the, the books of the Bible that we need to allow to have evolved a little bit because okay, it sure. is the hymn book of, of Israel. Uh, it's Jesus' prayer book. And these, these prayers get collected over time, like, like any good hymn, though. Um, there you go. <laughs> the the hymns and the hymnal are not, you know, they're they're not just simply contemporary songs, or they're not all fixed to one period in time either. Um, I know our hymnal covers the early church right up to really the the present day, um, or right, at least two thousand six. <laughs> one of us, one of us published. Um, and I think maybe we need to look at the Psalms the same way. So this is a late Psalm. And mm-hmm. yeah, the, the restoration of Israel from the Babylonian exile had to have been, uh, well, it, it's a really melodramatic moment. If you look at the historical books on it. Oh yeah. Um, right. You know, there's a, there's a, a sense of joy, but there's a sense of still a really powerful sense of lament over how they got into that situation. Um, the Bible study uh, that, that I just got done with, um, we're looking at Jeremiah right now, so that's not uh, so that that's all part of that. Jeremiah suffers much for what's about to happen to Israel with the exile, and he he also gets to live to see it, which is how Lamentations sure. comes into being. It's a horrible period in Israel's history. Uh, Israel's history is often defined by two major moments: one is the Exodus, and the other is the exile, and it is a horrible moment. Um, and yet the Lord takes care of his nation in Babylon, surprisingly, given the kind of leadership Babylon was known for. Um, and then eventually Cyrus comes along and lets them go back. And uh, it, um, take the, if you take like the next phrase, it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Israel right. had been so decimated by Babylon and Jerusalem was a, a wreck. Uh it turned out to be an opportunity for them to re-envision what it meant to be Israel and, and what Jerusalem ought to look like again when they rebuild it. Um, so they had a chance to dream. But now, okay, so I, I made a big deal of the word fortunes in verse right, 1. Right. That appears to me, I'm, I'm – I'm kind of staring at my screen here a little bit, but it appears to me to be a pretty unused word in right. um, in the Old Testament. When we hear the word fortune, what do we typically think of? Uh, Money. You know, I get my money yeah. back and the the, yeah. the, 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 I remodeled my home, refinanced my home, as you mentioned, or whatever it might be. Yeah. We think of that kind of a renewal that you can physically see as tangible and, from more I'm hearing from you, it's kind of like 
maybe that wasn't exactly what's happening here. But uh, any other findings you've had with the word fortune? I mean, we're thinking yeah. money usually in America. So any other thoughts? Right. Well, I'm not finding too many others in the Old Testament. I know. Uh, it seems to me, though, that even in our own English, yeah, money money is probably a first consideration. It seems to me that the word is sometimes associated or maybe synonymous with, in our English usage, the word luck. Okay, sure. Um, mm-hmm. Now, and I, I don't think highly of luck. I've preached against the idol of lady luck. You know, um, uh, mm-hmm. the, the this is how gambling can become a sin. Is you know, you, you, if you're trusting in in luck rather than in God, if you're going there thinking that you know, not not content with what you have, but thinking you're going to make a fortune, <laughs> uh, right. you know that we have to be careful with those sorts of sins. But I, in all honesty, I, it, it's clearly a word that describes a good situation. For Israel, so the Lord had to restore a good situation for Zion, and Zion too. I mean, we we should be hearing Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, uh, and and all of that when we hear the word Zion. Um, so when they were released from exile, they were given an opportunity to dream and build again. Mm-hmm. And isn't that the best the best position to be in? The, the best position to be in in life is when you're building again and not just maintaining or, you know, just kind of treading water or, <laughs> or right. anything like that. The Lord had given them an opportunity to not so much redeem themselves, but to really live again as God's people and, and joyfully uh, as well. So this is written after the end of a really bad period and, and things look brighter. They look better. I do remember this kind of relates it relates to the church in this way um, that I was visiting with a with a member of a congregation that's gone through a lot of very difficult times, and one of their comments when they had a pastor there for a few years, they were kind of um, just relaxing a little bit, and one of the comments by one of the the members was, you know, it's just nice not to have any controversy lately. You know, we've just been yeah. a church, and that's kind of what rings in my ears a little bit here is. We might think, oh, uh, they're dreaming like they have these visions and and they're, you know, they're like Joseph and, and they're receiving these dreams and all that. But I think it's probably a little more like that where, man, you know, it's just really nice that we're back home, that we're able to kind of look to the future a little bit to see the opportunities. And I would say this is kind of how you're talking about your own parish you serve is that, you know, you're able are these things going to come to fruition? No, but it sure is nice to be able to do that as opposed to feeling like you're treading water. Um, and you're not necessarily putting a five-year plan because we know how those might go, <laughs> but just able to dream a little bit. And then it adds these great words that um, we know it's there when we see it and we enjoy it when it's there, but we don't really always say it. But our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongues with shouts of joy, and they said to the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Um, this is really a very joyous time, probably even more so than our yearly potluck or something like that. I mean, this is a very joyous time for God's people. Any thoughts? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think when, you, when you're dealt that sort of opportunity, when, um, I mean, it was probably about a year ago I had put a proposal in front of the congregation for an outreach, a, a, a different sort of outreach educationally. And mm-hmm. I mean, not, I, I wouldn't ever expect that the reaction to that in the congregation would be unanimous. You know, I, I 
I wouldn't expect that in any congregation I serve. But I think the best thing to come out of just making that proposal was just simply that we got to talking about outreach again. And it had been a little while. And, and I mean, cut, cut the congregation and cut the congregations, I think, of Christianity. Just a little bit of a slack here. There was a sense, at least for the previous year, of not feeling like we could do much. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it, in all honesty, I'm not really saying anything about, about uh, the congregation that probably wasn't true across the board in the church. And, and maybe this is a time, and we, we've kind of come out of a difficult period ourselves uh, as an entire whole Christian church on earth uh, kind of thing. And maybe this is a time to, with, with some of that now, and, and slight, at least lately in the rearview mirror, to, to see the opportunities rather than to um, continue to lament the past. I remember at a, a meeting we had back in February, um, one member was participating <laughs> through his wife, his wife's cell phone. She was at the meeting too. And we were talking a little bit, we're doing one last kind of debrief on everything that happened in the last couple of years. And he asks at the end of the meeting, is it okay if we just stop talking about that now? And, yeah. <laughs> and I had to say, absolutely. You know, I, I was, I was conscientious that the leadership of the congregation kind of processed that properly, I think. But at the end of the day, yes, absolutely. Let's talk about other things. As long as we have a shot at the future here, what's that going to look like? Let's, let's get going on those sorts of things. And I'm, um, and, and I have to say whether, whether the, it's, it's kind of strange right now, because even if the congregation isn't in total agreement on it, it's just great that we're talking about it. Right. Um, right. Uh, you know, it, it's just that, that, that was very, very important. I had a call a couple months ago. I said no to it, for, mainly for this reason, uh, for this reason that just felt like these were discussions we need to keep moving through, you know. And, and, there's, um, and there's, and Pastor, there's this, this is great. Uh, what does it mean for the Christian that they're able to say, one, in verse two, the Lord has done great things for them. Um, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. But with that, to, uh, that, to be able to have that joy, because sometimes, you know, as Lutherans, we, we, as I think as Christians in general, is that we don't ever want to be too happy because then we forget <laughs> we're a sinner, you know, or we don't want to be too happy yeah. because someone might not be happy. And so, you know, we're all kind of different stages. You have grieve, you're grieving or this or might that. And, and, and how do you put all that together? We have about three minutes before our break. But how do you put that all together? This psalm is explicitly telling us about the joy of the Lord restoring fortunes. So how does that all well, fit could, in, your, in your thoughts? Yeah, well, that's a great question. In all honesty, I, the saddest thing in the world to me is a grumpy Christian. Um, <laughs> I, I prefer to see laughter and joy. Um, Absolutely. It, it's, it, I... I I have a real appreciation for our narthex on Sunday mornings these days because yep. there's a lot of social communication, interaction. It seems like a lot of laughter, a lot of joy. Um, we're, we're taking a lot of that kind of out of uh, our, out of each other in those circumstances, and I think that's far more Christian than than grumpiness is. There's a there's a sense in which you want, we want to be repentant and serious about our own sin. That should drive us to tears. 
before our Lord. But on the other side of the forgiveness of sins, we it, it's important for us to understand that it's not God's will for us to, to wander around moping all the time. Um, I think that in the church you ought to hear laughter. Uh, I think there ought to be tongues that sing with genuine shouts of joy. And um, it would be, it wouldn't be a good reflection on us if it were otherwise. And so it's interesting mm-hmm. because, yeah, our, maybe our perception from outsiders, from non-Christians, is sometimes that we look a little joyless or like we're, we're you know, fighting the culture wars or fighting against everything else. And, and we just look very, very serious about things. But it's in that joy and it's in that, those, that laughter that's talked about there that I honestly think you see the, the, the Christian difference. Um, because the world is not a very joyful place right now. If, I mean, if you haven't already noticed. And it, it strikes me that the number one reason for that almost has to be the fact that the world knows nothing about forgiveness. It knows nothing about salvation. It knows nothing about how our Lord is, and we'll talk about this probably after the break, is consistently restoring our fortunes through the gospel. Um, and through Christ. And we should look different to the world, I think, particularly that way. We've got to remember here who you remember, who is always talking to me about how uh, nobody nobody laughs anymore. Right. And right. Uh, um, uh, he's, uh, he's right to some extent. And, and if we can't laugh here in the church, the world will never learn how to do it. So the world needs to understand where that joy comes from. Yeah, yeah the, 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 the world needs to know where that joy comes from and why that's a better message than anything else they could hear. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. It, it was funny. It, kind of a, a little bit about this. And I think it's good for you, our listeners, to pray for joy and not just like try to. Uh, how you, to stop happiness, if I can say it that way. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to, right. I don't want to go too far with this, but, but you they're know, have some, you're right. 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 They're not the same. And, and so I just encourage you that when you do go to church, like pastor says in the narthex, you're talking to people, have some joy. Um, and I, and I know the exact narthex he's talking about. It is a joyful place. It really is at St. John Lutheran church in North Prairie and people be there and hopefully there's food and people are just having a good time. And that's good for us to be able to have, it's good for the soul, you know, at the same time. And I do think about this story is I was at a wedding once and the pastor, um, that was doing the wedding was a, was a a father of one of our friends and, and he was marrying his daughter to one of our other friends and, and they went to the reception and in this past particular pastor is, is a good Missouri Synod Lutheran pastor. He's a conservative guy, very serious about his theology and everything. And one person says at the table, I bet they won't have a dance because he's a really conservative pastor. (laughs) And almost that exact moment is when all of a sudden all this like a class rock and other music came on and the first person on the dance floor was this pastor um so it's just kind of one of those yeah it was just it was all tasteful it was all done in good in good times and and quality music and a fun time but it was just one of those reminders for us um not to be the grumpy even though even though you know snow white loved grumpy um it doesn't mean we have to be as christians so pastor let's uh, pick this up on the other side of our break we are studying uh psalm 126 with pastor dan torkelson and we'll be right back
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. We are studying and praying Psalm 126 with Pastor Dan Torkelson of St. John's Lutheran Church in North Prairie, Wisconsin. Pastor, we have gone through the first three verses, and we've talked about fortune. We've talked about dreaming. We've talked about joy. And I do want to ask a question about about this word that we will hear once again in verse 4. And I've heard it used in many different contexts, but restored or restoration um, why is that an important word as we look at the psalm, but also to the Christian that the Lord restores um, us and 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 His people and and so forth? Any any thoughts on that word? Right. Well, the entire Christian life, <clears throat> uh, I think its central activity is that that word that word uh, um, of restoration, uh, sometimes translated repent, um, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not not translated that way here, but it's the same root word. Uh, and I, I'll begin with a historical re- well. There's several historical references you can make here. It's important to understand that word in the in the context of repentance is usually the first word of practically every prophet of the Old Testament. It's the first preached word of John the Baptist. It's also the first preached word of Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in the Gospels as well. This idea of um, turning around in order to, it, it has a, the idea of a 180, a turning around to face God again for restoration for the purpose of being forgiven for sin. This is a central activity of the Christian life. Um, right. <clears throat> that's sometimes striking to people. They'll, they'll, they'll say, well, isn't prayer the central activity of the Christian life? Um Prayer is certainly a wonderful activity in the Christian life and a privilege, but our daily our daily main activity is dying to sin and rising to newness of life since our baptisms, mm-hmm. right. and that whole process of dying and rising again falls under that term of of that, that Hebrew word shuv for for sort of returning. In this particular case, like in chapter in verse four, restore our fortunes, O Lord. That's a repeat a little bit of verse one, where it's stated indicatively. Now it's more of a request, and sort of a continue to do so, continue to turn us around, continue to bring us to um, good good things, fortunes, you know, <laughs> good situations. Um, but uh, it, it is. You're, you're absolutely right. The, the word for restore really is, uh, well, it's just, I've said it three times already, and I can't find a better way to say it. The central activity of our daily lives as Christians. Mm. And I remember the, the connections, specifically in the city. We, we helped with a congregation, Prince of Peace um, Lutheran Church in Cincinnati, um, Ohio. And they, that was their main, I guess you'd say, vi- dream statement or vision statement or whatever it might be, is restoration. 
and and very very much so one it was it was partly to raise money to redo parts of the church and to redo parts of this but their main emphasis was that the lord restores us and they they, they spoke exactly what you said that daily life of repentance and forgiveness death and new life that we have in in christ and so for here you know that feeling the lord restored the fortunes of zion and more than likely, one, <laughs> that it wasn't like everything that came back and it was golden Jerusalem here on earth, you know. Um, but it definitely, they knew that the Lord would restore them to their relationship with him. For us, we know that every day of our lives, but yet we need that reminder that he restores us. Mm-hmm. And through that, that the restoration continues throughout everything else in our lives and in his church. So it's, I think that's yeah. a very important word. And I love how you highlighted that as well. Anything else in the first three verses, Pastor? Well, let's just drive down on that just a little bit more because that that restoration occurs, uh, I mean, level one for us, that restoration occurs in the forgiveness of sins, Yeah, which um, restores our fortunes. It it resets our, our lives before God. Which is why in the earlier verses, you know, we can talk about things like joy and laughter and, and those sorts of things, because it's not God's will. I'm going to uh, I'm going to go a little doxology on you. Please do. <laughs> I, I like know, it. I, I know like you. Uh, I, I heard it said that this way best there. It's not God's will for us to go around with a bad conscience. Uh, right. Or to just, it's not God's will for us to go around and be be glum. It's one thing to live a life of repentance and be honest about our sins and confess them every day. But the reason for that is so that those sins might um, be removed from us. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 103, verse 12. Uh, and it's because I spent two years realizing that there were two words in there that I never paid much attention to. Um the uh, the Lord removes your sins as far as the east is from the west. Uh, mm-hmm. The Lord removes our sins as far as the east is from the west from us. That oh, encompasses wow. everything that's under that word shoe there in verse four from us. I don't know why, but I, I was it was two years in the ministry in my last parish where I just spent two years just marveling at those two words mm. from us. I mean, we, we Lutherans have this forensic idea about forgiveness where God says, you know, it doesn't matter to me anymore. <laughs> right. But we forget right. that when the, when the sin is removed from God, it is removed from us, which means if I'm living in the grace of God, the sin that I committed yesterday, certainly I want to learn a lesson and not repeat it. But do I have to sit and live in regret and joylessness um, after that? And the answer is... No, God doesn't want that for us. So um, digging just a little deeper into that, I would just say that um, it's funny what's underneath a word like like Shuv uh, restore uh, in verse four. Uh, I would say the whole the whole gospel is underneath that <laughs> uh, in one way or another. It is still uh, oftentimes um, seems like a human action. But it's driven by the word of God. The word, the law shows us who we are as sinners, and we regret that. We lament that. We confess it. It is then absolved through the blood of Christ. And I mean, is, why why should it continue to haunt us after that? Hmm. Um, that's not what what God wants for us. So, 
the good news for the listener is that um, this this God who restores our fortunes does so because he, he wants us to be joyful. He wants us to, to have some joy in this life. Um, and, of course, the application of this does stretch out from there, doesn't it? Um, well, and not that's just daily life here, but eternal life in heaven. Right. right. And that, and that's where the, all the connections come together there is, like you said, Psalm 103, verse 12, that those words from us are so vital is that we'll say, mm-hmm. well, I know that, but yet I kind of still want to cling to that for whatever reason, to beat ourselves up some more, or if I feel bad, somehow this is good. Um, those kind of dynamics that we have as Christians, like you said, he takes it from us. So that if you think of it that way, even more so, we are able to say the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad (laughs) that Mm -hmm. we know that this forgiveness is real. Now, Pastor, you said that was kind of the first level. Did we get the second, third level? Because I was so excited about the first level of forgiveness. I don't know if you went to the second or third. I can't. Did did you or did (laughs) you not? Well, I did. No, I didn't. But I mean, at the second, (laughs) at the second level, we are we are talking about the ultimate restoration of our fortunes in in eternal life, and we can't. Mm. Um, and, and let's not stop at dying and going to heaven because the gospel doesn't stop at dying and going to heaven. Uh, right. The gospel continues on to the resurrection as well and the restoration of our bodies to our souls uh, and glorified in a new heavens and a new earth. Well, boy, uh, and that is a, a, a real restoration. I believe the words used there uh, to describe that phenomenon, phenomenon too in the scriptures, but I, off the top of my head, I can't remember where. Um, so that's, that's just, um, it's important to understand that what, what the Christian life is really doing is in the gospel, we're moving from strength to strength here. We're moving from the strength of having had a conscience cleared and made, uh, pure again in the forgiveness of sins, which should have an impact on us today, but there's also the hope of eternal life in heaven, um, which, um, is, is obviously that that's gravy. Uh, <laughs> and then there's also the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth and in bodies that are glorified and uh, um, made perfect. Uh, it's funny. It is Wednesday. I, I think of my Wednesday Bible study people a lot on Wednesday, whenever I talk about the resurrection with them, and you know, some of these people, they're all generally, I would say older, not, not all of them are, you know, the oldest members of the congregation, but it's, it's older generation, at least in the congregation. And I will mm-hmm. talk about the resurrection. I think of a dear woman in the congregation who always said to me, pastor, why would I want this body back? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and the good news is I can say to her, um, well, I don't know what it's going to look like, but uh, it's not going to have all the problems that, that you're referencing when you ask that question, that in this uh, restoration, in this next level, you're going to get, you have forgiveness, you have life, and you get a full body back without hearing aids, glasses, whatever else. Knee replacement, hip replacement. Right. <laughs> go, down, right. go down the list, diabetes or, right. or cancer. I mean, it... It, it's unfathomable, yeah. and I love how uh, I would say earthy that that lady is to be able to say, "Why would I want this back? What are you talking mm-hmm. about?" And mm-hmm. and that just reminds us. Well, I've had on on our on our our program here, very Peter Burfind, who has written about Gnostic America, and we tend to think yeah, that way yeah. that. 
th- this restoration is more like, well, finally, I'm no longer living. Well, that's not restoration as Scripture speaks. It's, it's a resurrection of a new heaven and a new earth. So it, it, what right. a joy that is. I mean, I, I, I'm going to say the Lord has done great things for us, and he's going to continue to do this because this mm. body that I have is not going to be the same body. It will be perfect um, and worshiping the Lord. So, um, Pastor, did we get the third level yet, or are we are we are we past no, the level? I, I, I'm sort of level two and three <laughs> kind of blend together. In my, in my oh, got gotcha. you. Know, okay. Eternal, our souls going to heaven is part one. <laughs> part two is the bodies <laughs> being being raised. But yeah, and and unfortunately, when you know when 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 someone will say something like that to me, I immediately think of the the sort of Greek Gnostic implications of that as well. There's a sense in which I think we deeply believe something is wrong with our bodies, that they're not, Mm -hmm. we we often don't see them as the creations of God that they they really are. I mean, mine, I'm 51 now. It it doesn't work like it did when I was 25, but, you know, I'm, it's still a marvelous instrument. And when you think of all the processes that God has made to work inside the human body, um, yeah. and and even even sometimes when we're not feeling the best, so many of those processes are still working just fine. Uh, it's just it's astounding to me that we have allowed the world to to sort of pre preempt some of our full gospel here. And the full gospel gets right on down to, yeah, your bodies, yeah, God made those, and he wants you to have, have a glorified body back, too, uh, in, in uh, the new heavens and the new earth. Um, so when, when we pray, restore our fortunes, O Lord, I'm sure some of what we're praying is return soon. Mm-hmm. You know, come again soon, Christ. And that. And that's what happens in four through six, right? Is that he kind of, it turns into a prayer. We store right. our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. I kind of looked this up a little bit. I didn't look as much as I wanted to, but Negev and, and like streams, I think that's a good imagery, obviously, because they think of a perfect stream. But any thoughts on the, um, what does it mean, the streams of the Negev? <laughs> um, well, the Negev, uh, generally speaking, is supposed to be dry and arid most of the time. Uh, but like uh, a lot of dried up riverbeds, if it takes a lot of water, <clears throat> it's going to start producing streams, which I, I can actually say that I see this sometimes on my property. I've got certain parts of my, my property just uh, two miles from here that, um, uh, well, no, I, I, I'll use a better example. Sunday, Sunday, we were in Milwaukee. We were in Shorewood, where I'd done my vicarage. Yeah, we were at a place right. called Atwater. We were at a place called Atwater Park, which is right on Lake Michigan, and it was a nice enough day. And we had taken off our shoes, and the water Lake Michigan was cold, but not not really too bad. But you know what happens when you're standing on semi wet sand, and you stand there long enough, and pretty soon your feet start to sink in. Yeah. Um, I I think that um, there's something with regard to that here too, because inevitably uh, a wave will come in, it'll go over your, where your feet had sunk in and completely restore it again. And I think that's the restore to like perfect, sort of perfect sand surface. Uh, that's sort of what's, what's at work here is that the negative is generally a dry, arid place unless they get a lot of rain. And then when they get a lot of rain, streams naturally start to uh, appear and sort of restore everything. Um right. And that's uh, that that 
uh, it's analogy that's used a fair amount in the Old Testament. Um, the, the, the Negev is supposed to give you the idea of uh, um, a place that changes when it rains. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the rain is good news. You know, we use rain sometimes as a metaphor for bad things, like, oh, it's raining on my parade. But um, when the Lord, when Jesus says the Lord causes the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust, that's a good thing. That's the rain that, that causes the food to grow. And, you know, and it's the rain that causes the world to come to life and to bear life and to bear fruit, which sets up for five, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy while sowing is that's planting language. Um, and so the streams of the Negev are going to water uh, those seeds and they're going to at least reap joyfully the, the results. Um, and it's, it does, there, there's so many, like to have water in the Negev, does not just show you, isn't this nice? It's kind of like, you know, our where I live, I'm four blocks from the Mississippi River. And there's mm. really a lot of fun. There's various places along the river that you can go and just be and watch really the amazing thing of God's creation to be able to see this river that starts about two hours north of us and goes all the way down to New Orleans, you know. And yeah. that, that it's amazing to see how God does this. But but in their context, so for me, this is like a nice place to be. Maybe you catch a few fish, you know, maybe you swim, you know, the whole thing. It's just a nice, calm place to be. However, when the Najib has water in it, it also means that there's been rain. It also means that the crop will grow. It also means that my feet, you know, that I put in the sand, but also when I walk, I can actually walk on green grass. I mean, to me, the language here really connects us to Psalm 23 in great in great ways, too. Um, just that, that fruitfulness of God's creation. And they're asking, Lord, restore me like it is when I see the stream of water going there, meaning that everything in our lives is bearing fruit because of what the Lord's done for us. And so I, I, there's, there's a lot. It just brought to mind all those dynamics that surround that water that's there. Of course, you can go baptismal language, right? Knowing that I am a baptized child of God, it just, you see the whole world and bearing fruit as well. Any, any other thoughts on four and five? We haven't gotten to six yet, but I really like how you brought up the growing language, but just to see if there's anything else in verses four and five. Well, I think it, um, Again, in five, you're you're catching a sense of how this restoration that begins that kicks things off in four works. This, when I hear language of sowing and tears, but then reaping with shouts of joy, I, I again, I guess it, it probably is baptismal for me in a lot of ways because I think it just sounds a lot like dying to sin and rising to new life uh, every day. It sounds to me like what that restoration ought to accomplish. Our, if, if in our sins we're left with nothing but tears for what we've done, Christ and his suffering, death, resurrection, and the salvation that flows from that cross through our baptisms, through the Lord's Supper, is giving us reasons to go out with joy again. So um, imagine, for instance, we're in the Easter season, so... Um, my inclination liturgically was to restore, thank the Lord and sing his praise for right after communion. Um, mm-hmm. Because it has hallelujahs in it, and I just want to sing a lot of hallelujahs after 40 days uh, uh, in the wilderness. <laughs> and um, that, it seems appropriate to me to, to sing that. I like the Nunc Dimittis better, but 
at least here during the Easter season, it seems like the right thing to sing because we've gone forward to the altar as sinners. We've been forgiven. We've been restored. And now, you know, we go and we're about to go out the door and we're going to go out the door with joy. Thank the Lord and sing his prayer. Tell everyone what he's done. Let all who seek the Lord rejoice and proudly bear his name. Um, we have in just in the course of the, the, the divine service mm. on Sunday died and risen several times. Right. right. <laughs> That's what people, yeah. people don't realize that there's the confession absolution at the beginning. There's a Lord's prayer in the pox before the Lord's supper. There's all these places where we, we do this. <laughs> so yeah. we, we saw yeah, tears, right. but then we wind up weeping with shouts of joy. Yeah. And I love how you put that, the, the, the thank the Lord post-communion canticle. Thank the Lord and sing his praise. Tell everyone what he has done. Let everyone who seeks the Lord rejoice and proudly bear his name. Um, and the tune to this, at least, at least in setting two of the divine service setting two, it just, it just, I mean, it's, you just, you just it's happy bouncing. when you sing it, right? This is saying yeah, the Lord bounces, and sing right. his praise. Yeah. Right. If, especially, especially if you do it fast, if you do it very slow, you might not be so joyful, but um, you really get that feel of, okay, that connection of the joy and forgiveness. This is first level you said, and the joy we will have um, in the second, third level that I'm, I'm going to keep going with this because you're the one started the levels. But anyways, the second, third level, um, you know, that the future joy where we'll be singing that and while the fully restored everything, uh, it really mm-hmm. and I hope and pray for you, our listeners and for us as pastors is to rethink about that when we follow a lot of the, the order of service, the liturgy we have like that was put there for a purpose. And it, when you say and thank the Lord, you're not just like, OK, all right, let's get this thing done. I mean, this is a time to stop and give thanks because, well, I need that. I need that reminder to give thanks for what he has done um, in all ways. Mm-hmm. So, Pastor, anything else before we get to the last verse? Well, I mean, as long as we have a, a captive audience and we're talking um, on the radio and, and on the Internet, I want to throw one more thing in here, which is a, it's a pretty persistent theme in, in my own preaching. And that is, where else do you find a message like this? Mm, okay. Um, is, is there any other place out there in the world and through history that preaches a message like this, this kind of restoration, this kind of dying to sin and rising to newness of life, being able to leave our, our regrets and our shame behind and move ahead with, with joy and laughter. Uh, I don't know that I can find this in any other world religion, um, any other philosophy. And it seems to me that they all kind of bear the same thing in common, which is they tell you to save yourself in some sort of way or another. And does that ever really lead to any kind of genuine joy? Right. Um, can it lead to any kind of genuine joy when you're left trying to save yourself and you're not sure how you're doing? You either get prideful, as Luther would say, and you know, think, oh, I'm doing great, um, which isn't necessarily the same thing as joy either, or more likely for a lot of us, I think there'd be an idea of I'm not doing well enough. So you can't possibly have joy in a circumstance like that. In the gospel, in Christ, in the gifts that flow from his suffering and death on the cross, um, and then are handed to us through the hands of a risen Christ who rose again on Easter Sunday, Hmm. we are given... This, this gospel, this forgiveness of sins, which is the only 
message like it in the world, which is why I think, which is why I'm a Christian pastor. I'm a Christian pastor because I could not preach any of the other false doctrines that are out there. Human beings could never write this. We, we have a sinful nature that's going to tell us we need to save ourselves. This came from God because this is how God operates. God didn't want Adam and Eve stuck in their sin forever. Um, so he was promising a restoration of joy uh, on the spot in Genesis 3. And then throughout the Old Testament, this, this history just, you know, it, it, it plays a little bit like a broken record. It repeats itself over and over again. Israel sins, Israel fails, Israel's restored. Um, and then, it, of course, all comes down to one person in Jesus. And for what? For a real joy, a joy that matters, a joy that, um, uh, that the world cannot provide for itself. And we are looking at a world that is increasingly joyless. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that human efforts just won't get this done. This has to come to us as a gift uh, mm-hmm. in baptism, in, the, in our ears, through the preaching of the word, uh, and on our tongues and, and in our digestive tracts through Christ's body and blood. <laughs> and this is why we never, it never say... You should not cry. Verse six, he who goes out weeping. It's not like, oh, no, no, you don't, you should never cry. He's talking about the risk. There are tears bearing the seed for sowing, meaning, well, I kind of have a little bit of this. And I think you're more of a gardener than me, but I don't really care to, to plant things. I love when it grows. That's awesome. I don't want to do all the work, (laughs) though. Um, I like the fruits more than the efforts, but yeah. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, yeah. So I understand the the tears that goes into the planting part of it, no doubt about it. But then it talks about she'll come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Pastor, we have about two minutes left. We don't deny the pain in this world, mm-hmm. but we do admit where true joy comes from. And thats it's not just from the morning that people, oh, see a new day today, new start. No, the new start is in Christ. So it, it, with about two minutes left, how would you encourage our listeners as we look at this that, you know, this world is broken, but yet there is joy. You've said it very well to this point, but I just wanted to end it right. nice and nice and just joyful as you always do. So, Pastor, what do you have? Well, sin leads to death, leads to, I mean, uh, how shall I put it? It, it? Stuck in our sins, we really are left with nothing but weeping. Let's, let's begin there. We would have no cause for any sort of joy if we were stuck in our sins. Here in the Easter season, we hear Paul's really po- profound statement in the resurrection chapter that, you know, if, if only for this life, or no, what is it? If Christ be not raised, that's what I was thinking of. If Christ be not raised, then we are stuck in our sins. And right. that is lamentable and worth every tear that we might shed. But um, we're not stuck in our sins. We have a risen Christ. We have one who won the victory over sin, death, and the power of the devil at the cross, uh, proclaimed it done from the empty tomb. And so we're not just left with that. Should sin create sadness and, and tears in us? Absolutely. Uh, but I think maybe the Bible sums this up well, too. And again, in, in the Psalms where it says, uh, weeping remains only at night. Um, yep. joy, mm-hmm. joy comes in the morning. The idea is that sorrow and tears are temporary. But the joy that we have in Christ wells up to eternal life. Um, and that's the, that, that's, <laughs> that's the good news. Um, 
if all we have is is our sorrow for our sins, and then, then we don't really have that much. Um, so when someone comes to me and they're they're dealing with a tremendous sadness or loneliness, um, I do have something to remind them, and that is that this Christ who suffered, died, and rose again for them, is promising to be with them always, you know, uh, even to the end of the age, and in His forgiveness gives you a reason to to remember that he has not forgotten you. He has not given up on you. Um, you're his everything. He saw you as he was dying on a cross. And uh, even as he said, Mary, and she also didn't realize she was dealing with the resurrected Jesus, he says your name too in baptism. You belong to him. And these tears are, are temporary. Even if we don't see a relief until eternal life, um, you can still have the joy of the forgiveness of sins. And when you distinguish between joy and happiness before, you're absolutely right. We're not talking about an emotion here. We're talking about a concrete thing, blessing, benefit that comes from the gospel. Pastor Dan Torkelson of St. John's Lutheran Church in, in North Prairie, Wisconsin, leading us today in study and prayer of Psalm 126. Pastor Torkelson, thank you for bringing us his gifts. You bet. Good talking to you. God's blessing. I'm your host. Too. Yeah, you too. I'm your host, Brady Finner, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. <laughs>